are. Some of you may have wondered if this day would ever come. (laughs) And for some of you, it's gone like that, and everything in between. And I feel for myself just the incredible elasticity of time over these last five days. So just wanted to offer a few reflections about... um, continuing this meta practice that we've been cultivating, integrating it into our lives beyond this retreat container that we've created. And just to say, no matter what kind of retreat it is, things get opened up. Particularly though with a meta retreat, it can feel like we've just done open heart surgery. (laughs) We have been working on our hearts and in the safety, the ease and peace of the retreat container, we might not quite realize just the power, the depth, the intensity of the work that we've done together and how sensitive we are. So as best you can when you move back into your daily life to see if you can just create some space Uh, have some peace and quiet as much as you can. Try not to get too involved in too much stimulation too soon, if possible. But really just to acknowledge for yourself the work that you've done here. And it's quite normal and natural that a range of different emotions might come up. And the work that we've been doing here continues. So making space for all of that to see it arising and passing, that it's not a problem. It's part a normal part of the process. And to keep orienting towards meeting it with kindness. So in terms of maintaining a practice in daily life and continuing these Brahma-viharas at home, Again, you know, I've been trying to not give prescriptions and just encourage all of you to explore the practice for yourselves. But uh, I can say a little bit about how I do it, just as perhaps a, a set of possibilities. I like to do meta practice in the morning and mindfulness of breathing and body in the evening, just as a foundation. And I don't necessarily stick to categories. Usually I work with the people that I'm going to be seeing in my day, the people that I'm closest to, people that I work with, family members, and so on. Because what I've found is that working with people every day, this creates what I think of as a soft armor. It's like an emotional resilience that helps me better meet the inevitable that comes when we're working or living with the same people. So that's my baseline for formal practice. And depending what's happening in my life, at times I might turn to compassion. You know, if I've got some painful conflict going on, self-compassion, compassion for the other In the same way, equanimity practice at times may be the default when I'm feeling really stirred up. You know, this has been coming up in the hall at times, these different waves of reactivity that we can experience to external circumstances. Okay, I'm getting a bit off balance here. How do I come back to 
balance, perhaps the equanimity practice is a support. And then, of course, mudita for those times when I'm feeling maybe a little bit dry, a little bit uninspired, or that I've got bogged down in, say, a phase of self-judgment. Okay, what's going well? What can I appreciate about myself? So incorporating a little bit of that practice I mentioned last night, reflecting on the two things that the Buddha said to Mahanama, generosity and my own good qualities, my own virtues. So that's more in terms of formal practice. Then in daily life, as I mentioned the other morning, just to take time, I'm walking down the street and seeing if I can beam metta the people coming towards me might be uh, sometimes when I've been working at the gym, work, doing a workout, there's something about the rhythm that can really lend itself to the phrases. So it's like, may you be well, may you be healthy, <laughs> may you be happy. And that actually has a benefit for my, pract- my um, workout because it keeps the motivation going. You know, I'm getting bored and tired, and I think, no, just do one more round for whoever. So... <laughs> In that sense, we can get a cardio workout on two levels. <laughs> to, to just be creative and to really play with it. You know, you're on your commute or you're driving to work, just allowing the cars, the drivers, to be in that field of your metta. So the main encouragement really is just to keep exploring, to be creative, to find what works for you. Because one of the things I love about Brahma Vihara practices, you can't really do them wrong. You can't accidentally develop too much metta. At least hasn't happened so far. So really give yourself permission to explore and to play. Thank you. I'll add my uh, my thoughts on going home, and um, also just my uh, want to express my deep gratitude to Booker and Jill and Devin for such a wonderful team. Uh, so joyful to get to spend time together and uh, and share these these powerful teachings with you, and my gratitude to each of you. This wouldn't be much of a retreat if it were just the four of us sitting here, <laughs> you know? So this thing, it, it forms together. Uh, yeah, so deep bows to you for your practice and your diligence. One of, um, one of the things that I, I love the most about this practice and this path is... Um, that it's incredibly flexible and and broad. So uh, we come on an intensive retreat like this and train in a very formal way. Um, but as anyone who's played a sport or played an instrument knows that you uh, you play scales not to get good at playing scales. You play scales in order to make music. And so that's that's the... That's what we do this for, is to go out there and make music. And this is the instrument, this mind and body. 
and the Buddha's teachings provide a tremendous um, menu of ways to cultivate. Coming back to this word we talked about in the first night, bhavana, the word that's translated as meditation, but literally means cultivation and that image of a garden. So there are many ways to cultivate the garden. Uh, And so um, Jill was talking about some of the ways to take metta practice into your daily life. Um, uh, mindfulness practice into your daily life. But I want to share just a few other things that are part of this path that are ways to cultivate uh, and and then ways to support yourself after you leave this retreat. So one of the, the foundations of this practice, as Dawn talked about yesterday, is generosity. And what does that mean to be generous? What does it mean to live with a generous heart when someone talks to you. We, 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 be, we can be generous with our time and our attention. It's a tremendous act of generosity to give someone your full attention. There are many ways to be generous. It's not just about money, right? So to live with a generous heart softens the tendencies towards clinging and self-centeredness. Precepts are the foundation of this whole practice. Living with a sense of ethical integrity And the precepts are not commandments. They're not rules. It's a training. The literal word in Pali is sikha padam, which is a step of learning. This is a path. It's a step. It's about learning. So we take the precepts, and we'll have a chance at the end of our closing to formally take the five precepts. And it's saying, this is my intention. I want to live from a place of non-harming. And we lose it. You know, we make mistakes. We, we say things that are hurtful and we go, oh, that wasn't my intention. You know, that's not in line with how I want to live. How do I repair? How do I learn from this? <clears throat> and so rather than it becoming kind of a moralistic thing or a way of judging ourselves, it becomes a way to continue cultivating, to continue refining like a craft. It just becomes more and more refined. Having a daily practice, I can't recommend it enough. Having a daily formal meditation practice. One of the things that gets in the way the most, I think, of having a daily practice is not having time. And we can have expectations that, well, you know, if I'm not sitting for half an hour, 45 minutes, then why do it? What I would offer is that it's not the quantity of time that matters. It's the consistency and the quality of your intention. So if you can sit for one minute, sit for one minute. One minute of awareness is better than no minutes of awareness. So it's that consistency of coming back every day and just taking time to cultivate your mind and heart, to clean, to clean this, this, this being. Uh, that will over time build up and support you in your practice. And if you can sit for five minutes, for 20 minutes, that's great. Do it. You can stand. You can recline. You can do walking practice. You know, come home at the end of the day, sitting sitting's not right maybe. The energy's too, too jarred. Take 10 minutes. Do some walking. Feel the body. Let things settle. Come back to balance.
working with intention is a wonderful way to bring these teachings into your life. So at the beginning of the day, take a few moments and set an intention, you know, like Jill was talking about, if there are people you're going to see in your life that day, how do I want to be in relation to these people? Or how do I want to live today? What, what's needed? Maybe it's slowing down. Maybe it's patience. Maybe it's self-care. Maybe it's wisdom. Maybe it's clarity. But you set an intention and you come back to it. Jill and I were talking at breakfast this morning. And, um, you know, uh, when you get out there in the world, most people aren't going to understand what you've done here. Uh, and that can be quite jarring. Uh, sometimes the people that we'd like to share the most with about this experience, uh, there might not be the interest to say, oh, how is your retreat? <laughs> it's a social question. It's not, <laughs> they're not necessarily wanting all the details. It's fine to say, oh, it was great, thanks. But there's something precious about what's happened here and I really want to encourage you to take care with when and how you choose to share it with others because it can be quite painful to share. Someone says, how was your retreat? And you share something quite deep and they go, oh, (laughs) that sounds kind of, you were silent or, you know, you were sending metta to so-and-so? What's that, you know? So take care with yourself, you know, and how you share. It can also feel like uh, the heart closes and this will happen. You know, your heart's quite open right now and you're probably much more sensitive and vulnerable than you realize. And uh, it doesn't mean that you've lost something or that the practice isn't working if in 24 hours you snap at your partner or your roommate. Or, you know, if in a couple days it feels like, you know, you're back in the same place that you were before the retreat, kind of contracted or tight or rushing. Um, again, as this is breakfast, when Jill and I were having breakfast, where I started, she, we were, she was saying that this metaphor she likes to use, it's like you've turned on the light in a room being here. And maybe for the first time you've actually seen things clearly. And even if that light gets turned off again, you know what the room looks like. And you know that there's a light switch and that it can come on. (laughs) And that will never change. So that's why there are all of these many, many different ways to cultivate and to remember. To practice with precepts, to practice generosity, to have a daily practice, to work with intentions. Um, Having community is essential having people who share uh, some affinity with this path to spend time with, to talk about the practice, to talk about the teachings, to practice together. So if you have a sangha, a community locally where where you live, connect with them. Go once a week. Really, really helpful to touch in, hear some teachings, sit with other people, you know, um, just as I said, you know, wouldn't have been much a retreat without, with just the four of us here. Imagine though if it was just one of you out there or two of you. So there's strength in practicing together. 
Um, more and more today, there are many ways to access the Dharma. So in the bookstore, there's wonderful books. You know, it's helpful to just be reading something about the Dharma. You know, even if it's only for a few minutes every day or a little bit on the weekend. So the mind is continuing to learn about this perspective, this way of looking at things, this way of understanding ourselves and others in life. Um, many different forms of uh, listening to Dharma talks, Dharma seed, audio Dharma. More and more there are apps that have really good teachings. Um, so, you know, seek out these different ways of staying in touch and enriching your understanding. Uh, one, of the, um, one of the ways that I wanted to invite you to stay connected to the practice and the teaching, and particularly after this retreat, is a, a course that I put together with a dear friend and colleague of ours, Jaya Rudgard from England. And it's a six-week online course called Next Step Dharma. So you come to a retreat, okay, what's next? There's a need, there was a need in the community for some kind of a, a transitional support. So we created this online course um, to support people in their practice after they leave a retreat. And it's specifically designed for after a retreat. And there's a combination of um, short Dharma talks. So it's meant to be used in daily life. So it's not 45 minute talks, they're like 10 minutes. Um, guided meditations, instructions, uh, reflections, um, interviews with like Joseph and Sharon and Jack and other teachers in our community about coming off retreat. And then there's space to stay in touch with one another. Um, so uh, every week and a half or so we have a live video chat um, to talk about how things are going and ask questions. So I usually host those. Jill will be hosting one in the next six weeks. Um, uh, email correspondence in the, in the course to see how, how it's going and what kind of support you need. So um, if you don't have a Sangha at home or you haven't been doing this, you know, this isn't your 20th retreat or something and you want some more support, um, there's some flyers in the, uh, in the welcome room and it's... Uh, um, a pretty wide range of uh, sliding scale, so it's really accessible. So I invite you to, to check that out if it's of interest. And maybe the last thing I'll say is also just in terms of, of our teaching, you know, some of us have mailing lists out, and if you want to stay in touch, just jot your email address down, and um, you can just hear about other places that we're teaching so that we can connect uh, in, in the future down the road. been waiting for this moment for um, the last couple of <laughs> Dharma talks have, as we started to talk about animals. Um, <laughs> and, I, and I thought, and I thought at, at some point in time, in lieu of a Dharma talk, I could wheel out a TV and show you all puppy and kitten videos on YouTube. <laughs> and I'm, I'm actually convinced myself the whole of the Dharma is within those puppy and kitten videos. Um, hmm. 
It's been wonderful to be here with you all this week. Um, I love coming back to IMS. Um, Metta practice has been um, a, a lifesaver and transformational for me over the last many years. Uh, and, and, it, and it's one of those things that I, I do actually more informally in the street as I, as I uh, meet people and my commute and wherever I am more so than a formal metta practice sitting on the cushion. Um, and it's been, in, like I said, an in, in incredibly transformative uh, practice for me. And I, I wish you all well. Um, mm. And your hearts are a lot more open than, than, than you may know. And just, and just to really take it easy, explore slowly, and enjoy, um, and continue to have self-compassion for yourselves. And um, when you get stuck or it seems a little difficult, puppy and kitten videos on YouTube. <laughs> seems to work. Okay. Thank you. Good morning, dear ones. It has been wonderful to be here with Oren and Jill and my brother Devin. And it's been such an honor to hold space for you in the afternoons and offering mindful movement and an incredible privilege to hold your hearts for those of you who I had one-on-ones with. That was incredibly, it really cracked me open this week. I want to reiterate what uh, Oren was saying about Sangha. Sangha has saved my life. Sangha has been um, what has kept me here and what allows me to stay here. Thich Nhat Hanh has a beautiful essay called The Sangha River, which actually Devin shared with me about a month or so ago, and I'm obsessed with it. And he speaks about how, you know, as individuals, we're just a drop in the ocean. And just as one drop dissipates, with all these different drops, we actually become this huge ocean. And he speaks about how we begin to see with Sangha eyes and walk with Sangha feet and feel with a Sangha heart. And at the end he says, everyone wins. <laughs> and it's true, it's true. Um, cultivating a daily practice is re- something that's incredibly challenging for me. And I do it because I have a friend who texts me every morning at seven o'clock in the morning. <laughs> you know, she lives in DC, I live nomadically, and it's just a really amazing resource and strength for my practice to have um, her to check in with. I have another text thread of drama, drama, dharma friends, not drama friends, dharma friends, <laughs> it's different. <laughs> I love that too. But, um, <laughs> But of Dharma friends, and you know, we're always, we're constantly traveling and sitting on retreat and teaching on retreat, and we're constantly in contact and communication with each other. And it really helps to cultivate the Brahmaviharas. When you have Sangha, you start to understand what mudita actually is, what compassion actually is. And it helps you to cultivate the paramis of generosity and virtue and energy. And so if you don't have a home sangha, reach out to someone next to you and get their phone number. You know, it just takes one person and then boom, you've got a sangha. 
Oren has this great online program afterwards that can also help to cultivate Sangha. And I would love to see while I'm out on the road, I spend, as I mentioned, my life is at the intersection of social justice yoga and mindfulness. And this year, my focus is really on changing the paradigm of leadership to be one of calm and of self-preservation. And so in March, I'll be doing a workshop for self-care for advocates who work with kids who are on uh, many different spectrums. In May, I'll be doing a retreat at the Garrison Institute for executive directors and leaderships of supportive housing. And in June, I'll be out at Shambhala Mountain Center doing a retreat for uh, healthcare providers. And then a lot of other stuff sprinkled through. For those of you who really enjoyed the mindful yoga and meditation that I offer downstairs, I'll be doing, um, I believe, a five-day retreat at Spirit Rock with Anne Cushman and Pascal Eau Claire in October. It's the juiciest, most delicious retreat ever. I'm just going to say that because it's, <laughs> it's pretty juicy. And so I have a sign-up sheet um, as well as um, a schedule of my calendar, um, about, I think, 20 printed out. So take a picture. I can take one with you. And um, best of luck with your practice. Best of luck with cultivating Sangha. Um, and thank you so much for being here this week. So let's let's uh, let's take a short sort of leg stretch break. I invite you to do what your body needs. So we have some time now to uh, do some uh, questions and responses, um, and maybe if we if we use these uh, wireless mics, make it easier for everyone to hear. Uh, and we could just kind of together, you know, once you're finished, just look and, and pass the mic to someone else with the hand up. So anything about the practice or going home that, uh, that you'd like to, like to ask? Yeah, so maybe we can pass a mic. And there's just a little button. Yeah, and send the other one to this woman in the, in the gray. Thanks. Yes, thanks for this chance to ask some questions. I have a question about the uh, practice with difficult people. Because um, I ended up thinking um, of a specific person in my family history. And the dimensions were he was difficult both to interact with in a social sense and also he was kind of immoral. But um, he also had standing, so none of us were able to challenge that. And what he did in today's terms would be considered not legal. So it was like, oh, wow, these are different dimensions of difficulty. And I wondered if you could comment on that, because it seems like, you know, difficult could be annoying or it could be criminal. Um, it could be, gee, this person, um, you know, does petty things that are wrong, but in general means well, but, you know, is really asocial. So it's just, it's difficult, seems to have, you know, and, and it's like if someone were asocial, they might not necessarily be criminal. So, um, 
the attitude towards them seems like um, how how do you deal with you know meta for those dimensions? It's a very powerful question, and I gave a little bit of. Um, Context when yesterday when I said you know pick somebody who's a two to three rather than a ten, with that acknowledgement that there's a whole spectrum of what we might think of as difficult person, and also in the context of all four Brahma Viharas, metta is not always the most appropriate response. So keeping in mind that metta doesn't mean we're condoning difficult behavior, criminal behavior, antisocial behavior. Sometimes compassion, and particularly self-compassion, is what needs to be worked on. And depending on the situation, perhaps for years, you know, if there's been really serious abuses of power or authority, we don't, none of this is pushing us that we're supposed to feel meta for every single painful situation that's ever happened. This could be 20, 30 years of working round and around all four Brahmaviharas. So self-compassion, compassion, perhaps equanimity, creating space, perhaps even literally with clarity. This is not somebody that I want to or need or even should have an actual relationship with. And Ram Dass's thing, you can throw someone out of your house, not out of your heart. But that doesn't mean you feel this glowing, mushy-gushy metta for them. It might be just, as we were saying yesterday, just that basic acknowledgement, this is a human being. Non-ill will, that's it. Non-ill will is referred to in the suttas as metta. So depending on the circumstances that might be the most appropriate response. Remembering that metta, all of these qualities, if they're truly universal, they have to include we ourselves. So it's a very common thing that we think it's supposed to be out there. We're cultivating it out there for these people out there. Bring it home and include this being here also. Does that make sense? Thank you. Just press it until it's press and hold it until it. Yeah. All right. Press and hold it. Huh? Not you. No, okay, great. <laughs> I see. Um, first, again, I want to say thank you to four of you and thank you to everyone in this room. Um, just a question if we can, I wanted to ask if we can get the equanimity phrases either uh, posted or I'll, you can mm-hmm. just say them and I'll try to remember. <laughs> sure. Um, so there are different ones. Maybe between the two of us, we can say a few. You can. They'll also be on the recording. 
Um, Jill's sticking around a little bit longer than I am, so if you have time, I don't know if you could write. But so um, some of them are. Um, All beings have their own path. Um, I want you. I wish for you to be happy, but I can't make your choices for you. Um, things are as they are right now. This is the way it is. Can I add a few? I care about you, but I cannot live your life for you. Your happiness or unhappiness depends upon your actions, not upon my wishes for you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So if you, yeah, so if you turn your mic off by pressing and holding that button until the green light's off, and then we turn that one on, it should work better. Thank you all so much for your teachings. I was wondering if you could speak to living mindfully amidst the internet. Um, it's something that I really struggle with. I feel like I am able to slip very quickly into mindlessness. And, yeah. So, yeah. Um, like anything else, it's a practice. Um, I can just share a few tips and suggestions. Um, so one is, uh, you can make it a practice to pause and take like two or three, if you can get to three mindful breaths when you open your computer or, or go to look at your phone. So just like that first moment of contact with the screen and the, the, that realm of experience, pausing there can be very helpful. So that's one, that's one practice and you could do that for like ever, <laughs> but you know, just set it, do it, try doing it for a week and see how it goes. Right. Another thing that's helpful is to set a clear agreement. Like if you're, if, if we all have different relationships with that, that media, but some people I know, you know, you go online to do one thing and like two hours later, you're like, Whoa, you know, it just happened. <laughs> so to set a clear agreement about how long you want to spend online with yourself and set a timer you're going to do 20 minutes or talk, you know, make, 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 be clear about what is it I'm going online to do, right? Like I'll open the computer to send one email and then, you know, I respond to four other things and do this other thing. And then I forget to do the thing I right? So like be clear about, okay, this is what I'm doing. These three things. That's another structure that you can, you can engage in. Um, there are um, little apps you can get for your device, more commonly for computers. I don't know if they have them for phones and tablets, but where periodically it'll ring a chime or it'll fade out the screen and invite you to take a break. Um, the one that I use is called Time Out, uh, and it's free. You just download it, and you can set the intervals and everything, so that's really good. Uh, but perhaps most important is... Um, trying to trying to practice with feeling your body while you're using a computer a phone or something because the, it's the body that gives us the feedback about what's happening and the when the attention goes out into the screen we we're not embodied 
And that's why we can spend two hours staring at something and then afterwards, like, God, my neck, my eyes, what happened, right? So having, starting to try to, to sense your body some, and that's why taking those breaks, you check back in with your body, how does the body feel? You know, so I, and I actually do a lot of work on, on the computer when I'm not teaching. And um, like I try to move between different postures, sitting, standing, sitting at a desk, standing, sitting on a couch, so that the body is also moving. So those are, those are a few ways to add some. Just to say to respect that this can be an addiction just like any other addiction, and there's more and more research that it stimulates the same opioids and dopamines and stress hormones as many other harmful substances. So for me, it was helpful to acknowledge that, that it's not just my shortcoming that I'm finding this difficult, but we, you know, this is um, neurobiologically doing stuff to me. So for example, I, I read recently that every time we refresh a page, a little shot of cortisol gets released in the brain to help us change focus. And if you think how many times are we actually going from page to page to social media to work and so on, every time we do that, stress hormone being released. So okay, knowing that that's what I'm doing to myself really helps strengthen my resolve at least to give myself a break. So I try to have a device-free day at least once a month, ideally once a week, depending on what's going on. And the quality of my mind at the end of that day is so different. Every time it takes me by surprise. Just an encouragement, at least a half day if you can't manage a day, just to give yourself a break. Thanks. Yeah. Can we get a mic up here? I have it. (laughs) Okay, you've got a question. So maybe send over the other mic, yeah. Um, I just wanted to echo the thank you, first of all, to everyone and the four of you. Um, I notice, mm, I'm trying to strike a balance between explore and enjoy and what's been happening, which is kind of slipping into fantasy. Um, And it's generally pretty hard for me to visualize images regardless of the practice um, or sort of the the type of practice that I'm doing but um, to kind of conjure up an image of someone or imagine them with me it so easily slips into uh, a memory or something that isn't a meta practice even if it's nice um, and so I'm, I'm trying to balance and looking for advice, I guess. Well, just the fact that you're recognizing that and recognizing the distinction between fantasy and meta and you're able to bring awareness to that even if it's the next day, for example, doesn't matter when you recognize that, that's the moment of mindfulness. So I feel like just that, that is the training and to have patience with that and not to you know, feel like it should be like this and I should be able to do this you know, 
to recognize that this is a skill that we're, we're building up. And so as you did, just recognizing, okay, this is fantasy. Noticing what effect does that have on the body and the heart and the mind. And when am I more in the zone of, we could say, closer to the real metta? How does that feel? So over time, we're learning to recognize those differences more and more clearly. It sounds to me like you're already well on the way with that process, so you can just trust it. Anything you'd like to add? I would just add, <clears throat> so as, as Jill shared, that you know, there are different ways to practice metta, so she offered this radiating technique. One of the benefits of using phrases, which doesn't work for everyone, but one of the benefits of it is it gives us uh, something to measure if we're here or not. And so um, Sharon Salzberg often talks about, like for her, having the phrases was very, very helpful because she could tell, not right away, but you know, when the mind is gone, thinking about other things, we notice it because the phrases are gone. So it might be helpful to really stay with the phrases. And if the image, if you can't hold the image, that's fine. You know, stay with the intention and the phrases and you know what the meaning is, who you're sending it to, if it's yourself or someone else. Yeah. Let's see if there was something else to say there. Mm, it's gone. Okay. <laughs> I'm acknowledging that it's difficult for me to speak right now. Mm-hmm. I'm feeling very raw, mm-hmm. and I'm wondering if you have some practical suggestions for mm-hmm. the next 24 hours. Yeah. Thank you. She said she's feeling very raw, and if we have any practical suggestions for the next 24 hours, yeah. Um, absolutely. <clears throat> um So one would be, if you're not leaving right away, um, you could connect with someone on retreat support to just take a walk or have a cup of tea. That's just while you're still here. That's one possibility. But in the next 24 hours, one thing would be um, uh, bringing your attention to your external environment and really connecting through your senses to what's around you. So with sight, really paying attention to colors and light and shape, to sound and to touch, um, which will help just help you stay oriented and grounded in, in, in the moment. So that's one suggestion. Um, going slowly. So take your time. There's probably things to do when you leave here. Um, watch out for uh, the story that says, I better do this now, I have to do this now. There are very few things that probably need to happen today. There might be one or two. But most of the things that we think we need to do, like checking your email, it can wait. It can wait. You know, so um, be really discerning about what you choose to do 
and try to do as little as possible. To just take your time to go slowly with things. Um, Do things that are nourishing for you. Take a walk, stretch, go to a yoga class, take a bath, call up an old friend, journal, draw. So things that feel good, that are nourishing for you will be, will be really supportive. You know, like after Jill had this uh, metaphor of like, you've had like heart surgery. So um, maybe you haven't had surgery. Um, If you have, you can use that as an example, but um, like after you've been sick and not just like a cold, like really sick and you're just starting to feel better, um, but you're still moving a little bit slowly and you kind of like, you know, you you don't want to push it, like orient to things that way. So it's not so it's it's not like a failure or like I should be able to. It's like no, like I'm taking care of myself. You know, like my whole energy system, my whole body and mind is coming out of something quite deep and profound. And so like I'm going to go slowly with this. So an image you can use is like um if you ever seen uh like a butterfly come out of a cocoon or if not you could imagine like when they first come out, they can't fly. Their wings are quite delicate and moist. And all they do is they just, they just sun their wings. And they just flap them and just sit in the sun as the wings sort of, uh, they're very soft and delicate and they, uh, they just need to feel the air. And they're quite sensitive at, at first because they've just come out. And it's, it takes time for those wings to um, kind of acclimatize to the air and to the light and to the wind. And so just letting them be in the sun and to feel the air and, and to, stra- to feel their strength as they kind of fl- flutter. And then eventually the butterfly can take off and explore. So it's, it's kind of like that. It's like very delicate and fine. And to just give them, give it, give your heart and your mind time to just feel things out, you know, particularly after the closing ceremony here, when you, uh, you know, meet with people and talk with people, um, share a few words, see how you're feeling. And if you need to be quiet again, you know, just put your hands together. I think I need a break. And that's while you're still here, that's really okay to do, you know, and then when you leave to be able to find a way to say that that's more appropriate. It's like, I'm feeling a little tired. The retreat was, was, uh, you know, pretty intense. I think I'm going to take a break. Yeah. Is that helpful? Great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, Joseph. Hi. Oh, whoa. Okay. First of all, thank you guys so much. You guys are awesome. Um, Everyone here, I love you guys. Um, And the second thing I wanted to say was um, thinking about, like, arguments with people we care about and, like, um, like really wanting to be understood and to be and to understand them and like feeling like I really am trying hard but I'm still not being understood and and finding the balance between like trying to uh, when to argue and when to just use like meta practice to be like 
I'll have compassion for this and just stop. But like, when do I need to be like, you need to understand right now because we care about each other and you need to understand my perspective. And I, it's hard to know that balance. It's a very powerful question that's again, can't give a single prescription, but for me, all of these Brahma-Vihara practices are grounded in listening. And one of the images for compassion is Kuan Yin, who's the archetype. I think that's her, at the back of the room there, she's been kind of at our backs through this whole retreat. And so one way she's described is she who listens to the cries of the world. And she listens as if she had ears on every cell of her body. There's a very powerful metaphor. And this listening includes listening, obviously verbally, hearing, but listening to our own hearts and minds as well as the others. Acknowledging at times there is a very strong need to be understood. And at times that can get into right and wrong, good and bad. So coming back to that self-compassion that there may well be times when we're not understood. Can there be equanimity? Okay, this is how it is right now, remembering the right now. In this moment, we are just bouncing off each other. The more I try to make you understood, the more tight you get, the more tight I space. I need space. Let me just feel the hurt, the frustration, the anger in my own heart. Deal with that, listen to that. And then later... Maybe we try again. So it's the process of listening internally and externally and both. And we do our best. And particularly with people we're close to, we get into those patterns very quickly. So again, all of this grounding in compassion and self-compassion and equanimity can help soften an open space for perhaps a, a less rigid kind of dialogue to happen so just wish you all the best with that it's not easy one other suggestion just practically is uh it's helpful to to do some training in communication um it's one of the things that i that i do also um but you know just pick up marshall rosenberg's book Nonviolent communication it's a great place to start that'll start to give you some frameworks and tools yeah yeah We have just time for one or two more questions. So. Press and hold. Hello? Okay. For those of us who don't have the option of going slowly back into work tomorrow, yes. we're plunging right into probably the fullest day of the year. Yes. Do you have any practical suggestions for that? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I was in Hawaii um, many, many years ago. Very fortunate to have time there, and I took some time and I went out to on this point um, 
uh, all by myself. I was, I was trying to find some place by the ocean someone told me to go to, and I just ended up at this place. And there was this big gully um, with uh, rocks on the other side and the point where I was, and the waves were just coming in, and the water was this deep blue. And um, as the waves came in, the water would rise up, and then as the tide and the wave went out, the water would go down. And... Um, I felt like, wow, I want to, I want to die. I want to, I want to go in this water, but it was a little dangerous. But I felt like I could, I was in my early (laughs) twenties. I could probably dive in, swim up, get to the other side and climb out before the next wave came in. And so it was one of those things where it's like, I, you can't hesitate. So I waited for the I waited for the for the water to come in. I waited. It was it was on the it was on the in because if it went out, it would be too shallow. The water came in. I dove in, came up the other side, and got out. So sometimes you just you go and <laughs> and you go with the energy. If you resist it, if you resist it, you'll suffer. Don't resist it. Just go with it. Be in the flow and be in it wholeheartedly. Go quickly. If you need to go quickly, go quickly. My first teacher, Manindraji, was very speedy. He was not a slow person, but he was mindful. You don't need to go slow to be mindful if your mind is well trained. So just be in what you're doing fully and and stay with it. Yeah. Great. Yeah, Tracy. Thank you all so much, um, and thank you everyone here just for making this a possibility to spend five days in, in cultivating this. Um, and I resonate with the question about being raw. Um, I'm really glad I didn't decide to only take a half vacation day today and go back to work at noon, because I was almost going to do that, and there's no way I can do that. Um, but the last 24 hours or so, I've had this image of um, circling the drain, like I'm getting ready to be like sucked back out into the world. Um, and, you know, having this light on in this room, and I'm just, it's a lot of anticipatory anxiety about the light being turned off and me, like, fumbling around this room. And I can already visualize myself in these stories and these habits and patterns that, where I cling and where I get stuck. Because many times over this, these past few days, I've had moments of just, like, feeling so free and so disconnected and letting go of these stories that keep me bound and just worried about, as soon as I leave here, those stories coming, coming right back. That's all. <laughs> <laughs>
So just, you know, this is the template really of our practice, no matter what we're dealing with, what noticing the rising and the subsiding of these waves of intensity and making space for all of them. And the reason I like to orient to the sky when there's intensity, because it's such a powerful metaphor. Our heart minds have this capacity for really spacious mindfulness that can hold it all. And sometimes there's fog, and sometimes there's thunder and lightning, sometimes there's hail, sometimes there's blue sky and the sun shining, and all of those weather systems, they just pass through. They're just weather systems. The trick, the challenge is that it's my thunder and lightning, my hail, my fog, my... (laughs) It's the my that tethers those systems and locks them in place. So, okay, anticipatory fear is like this. And in this moment, nothing to be afraid of. Sun's just shining. Look at that. Moment of sunlight. Breathing in, breathing out. But my story! Yep. (laughs) Sunlight. Just a little template of can I just keep making space? It's like this right now. 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 Thank you. I'll I'll just add because there's there's something in what you're saying that's that's a universal in the practice beyond the intensity, which is that fear of the heart shutting down. And like I I said before, it, it will. And that doesn't mean anything. It's natural. Everything goes in cycles. Night and day. In breath and out breath. Open heart, closed heart. So let it close. If you let it close, then it will open more easily again. Don't fight it. And trust, trust that process. We lose mindfulness and then it returns and we lose it and it returns. And like Jill's saying, it's like this now and then it's like this now. That's how equanimity grows. Equanimity grows through being out of balance. So we just keep meeting what's happening. So we wanted to um, close the retreat formally with um, a few different pieces here. Uh, and the first is the, uh, the acknowledgement that um, part of this path and of, of healing and opening and understanding the heart is, uh, is knowing how to be humble Uh, knowing how to make mistakes and knowing how to uh, learn from them and how to repair when trust has been broken. Uh, And the Buddha said to his disciples many, many times when somebody lost the plot and came forward and said, you know, kind of made a mistake here, he would say, this is what I call progress. When we make a mistake and we recognize it, We make amends and we set an intention to do it differently. That's the formula. We acknowledge it, we make amends, 
and we set an intention to do it differently next time. So we'd like to, that's what we'd like to do. Um, and, uh, and the first part of that is acknowledging among the four of us that um, in spite of our best of intentions, we may have done or said or thought things uh, that caused harm. And so on behalf of all four of us, if there's any way that I or we have harmed one another intentionally or unintentionally in thought, word, or deed, humbly asking for forgiveness. And likewise, if there's any way that each of us has caused harm to one another, we freely offer that forgiveness. And so in the same way, um, when we are in this role, sitting here on the stage, representing the Dharma and offering the teachings, uh, there's a lot of power that comes with that. And as we all know um, from life and from history, that with power comes the potential for harm. And so uh, we all hold this role and this seat uh, with the utmost respect. And we're human and we make mistakes. And so uh, in that spirit, if there's any way in thought, in word or in deed, knowingly or unknowingly that we have caused harm, we humbly ask for forgiveness. And similarly, uh, we would like to extend forgiveness if in any way, in thought, in word, or in deed, knowingly or unknowingly, you have caused harm, we freely and wholeheartedly offer you our forgiveness. And so I'd like to offer now, in the same spirit, the invitation to you, first for yourself, if there's any way in thought, in word, or in deed, intentionally or unintentionally, you've caused harm for yourself in these last four or five days, I invite you to ask and to offer forgiveness to yourself. And then extending it, first with the request for everyone here, for those around you, if in any way, in thought, in word, or in deed, knowingly or unknowingly, intentionally or unintentionally, if you have caused harm to humbly ask for forgiveness in your heart. 
And even as you ask, hearing the request in the silence, receiving the request for forgiveness from those around you. And so extending, offering, if in any way, in thought, in word, or in deed, knowingly or unknowingly, you have caused harm, I invite you to freely offer your forgiveness. Thank you. Is there a microphone still on? So at the start of the retreat, if you can remember back that far, I offered some ways to help create a container together. And now I'd like to take just a couple of minutes to formally kind of close the retreat container by taking just a few moments to, if you can, remember back to that opening night last Friday, remembering walking into this hall for the first time, the retreat opening session. Seeing if you can get a a felt sense of that, how it felt. What was happening in your body, thoughts and emotions. As you walked into this hall for the first time, And then scrolling through the days of this retreat. And perhaps getting a sense of the huge amount of terrain that we've covered together. All the highs and lows, the ups and downs, the challenges and all the good qualities that have been strengthened. Just that repeated showing up and showing up and showing up, being present. Strengthening these heart qualities of kindness, compassion, self-compassion, joy, appreciation, gratitude, equanimity, balance, and ease. Taking a moment of silence now just to check into your own heart and to acknowledge what's true for you, what good qualities have grown over these five days.
and acknowledging the truth of interconnectedness. Even if we wanted to, we can't do this practice just for ourselves alone. Every action of body and speech and mind has an effect, ripples out. So inviting you to set an intention, an aspiration now. That whatever benefit has come from this time of practicing together, that it be a contribution to the welfare, the happiness, and the freedom of all beings everywhere. May there be peace. How you doing? All right, so to formally close the retreat, we'll offer the three refuges and the five precepts. Uh, again, which is a way of aligning our intention, of remembering our deep aspiration, and uh, the potential of being human. Uh, the Buddha refuge, our potential for awareness and awakening. The Dhamma refuge, uh, the strength of being in alignment with the truth, the way things are. The Sangha refuge, the support of community, of like-minded people striving for goodness. So we'll do the uh, refuges and call and response with a melody uh, that came to me a couple years ago uh, that I'll teach to you. And then we'll do the precepts and call and response in English. <clears throat> and we'll start with the Namo Tassa three times, which is this... Uh, um, offering of respect to the tradition and the elders and to the Buddha for uh, discovering this path. Namo tassa bhagavato. So, all right. So <laughs> let's do it this way. I'll, the first time through, we'll do a little call and response and then, and then we'll do the, and then we'll do it together. Namo tassa Bhagavato, Bhagavato Arahato, Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato, Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa. I'll chant the whole line. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa. Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Samma Sambuddhasa. 
Buddhang Saranang Buddhang Saranang Gachami Dhammang Saranang Gachami Sangang Saranang Gachami Dutiampi Buddhang Saranang Gachami Dhammang Saranang Gachami Sangang Saranang Gachami all together tatiampi buddhang saranang gachami dhammang saranang gachami sanghang saranang gachami I undertake the training to refrain from taking the life of any living creature. I undertake the training to refrain from taking that which is not given. I undertake the training to refrain from sexual misconduct. I undertake the training to refrain from false and harmful speech patterns. I undertake the training to refrain from intoxicating drink and drugs which cause heedlessness. which cause heedlessness. So that, that third precept, sexual misconduct, um, is, uh, had my synapses been firing more quickly, I would have used the phrase to refrain from causing harm with my sexual energy, which is really the intention. You know, it's not about being moralistic. There's nothing, you know, uh, uh, amoral about being sexual. We're lay people. That's a part of being human. But it's about causing harm with sexual energy. And uh, the fifth precept is about intoxicants. And so really you look at what's intoxicating. And as Jill said, if the Internet is intoxicating, what, what do we take into our system? And what is the effect of that? And so the invitation is that it's this exploration 
of my relationship with substances and with what I take into my mind and my body to see what is intoxicating. This path is about clarity, about being, you know, finding the truth in oneself. And so things that cloud the mind and create confusion go in the opposite direction. So thank you. May you be well, safe, and happy. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.